This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. We want to finish up this chapter. I hope you got something to write with. We're going to be taking uh, what I think may be a lot of notations tonight, a lot of scripture references. And uh, we're going to wrap this up tonight with Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 21. We're just about there. Uh, you know, there's a reason why a lot of people do not take time to study the book of Revelation. And uh, there are a, a variety of reasons why churches no longer spend time teaching uh, this prophetic book. One of the most disappointing commentaries on Revelation is the fact that a lot of pastors do not teach this book because of the enormity in study and preparation for it. It's not something you can get up here and teach 10 minutes before the service, and run through it a little bit. It doesn't work that way. Uh, and it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of study and a lot of preparation. And one, one of the challenges with teaching Revelation is the fact that there are so many wonderful theologians and Bible scholars, people that have accredited much work for the glory of God with great manuscripts, and uh, you can see some of their life invested into the, just this one book. And the thing that's ironic in all of the study is the fact that there are some really good, solid, biblical teaching pastors that have a variety of perspectives. And what I have come to conclude is this, that that doesn't necessarily make one right and one wrong. Um, because I believe this, that no matter how much we study the Word of God on any particular subject, it, we will never get it all right. That no matter how much we study it, we won't get it all right. And, but... I believe the Lord knows the intents of our heart. Now, does that compensate for any uh, variance of, of teaching? No, I mean, you know, the Bible teaches us to study the Word of God to show ourselves approved. And so we are to study. We're to study with great diligence. But I was, um, I was in my doctor's office on... Monday, and one of the things that I love about my doctor is the fact that uh, he is a born-again Christian, teaches Sunday school, he's an usher in his church and so forth, but he took the time to ask me about some of these incredible events as they were unfolding right before our very eyes in the Holy Land right now. By the way, I hope we are well grounded in the faith in the Word, in the Scriptures, here at this church, those of you that are watching at home, to understand that 
And I will speak for myself. Not necessarily as the way that I lead the church and which I hope and believe and and pray that you are are well advanced in your faith and, and the and the cause of Christ. The word says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper. They love thee. So let me always end this type of thing with the fact that every human soul is a soul from conception, a soul for whom Christ died. And there are many plunging into eternity, dropping like flies all over the world today. We know that, but I hope there's no mistake about it that you know that I am pro-Israel. They are the chosen people of God. And I want to lead this church to pray for the peace of Jerusalem because I really do believe they shall prosper that love thee. And so I am very much pro-Israel. We all need to be. We all need to be standing with God's people. My doctor was asking me to explain to him what was happening in the Middle East. And I had time. This is not the first time it's happened. This, I had a wonderful opportunity to, to go through a little bit of Ezekiel 38 and um, the rapture, the tribulation, the millennium, the uh, millennial reign of Christ and the great white throne. I mean, it was it was a wonderful time. And there are a lot of people unwilling to study the book of Revelation. One, because it does take a lot of diligent time. And when we get ready to turn this corner into chapter 4, you're going to see a very um, eye-opening reason why people don't study this book. Because it does take time to study. You have to compare Scripture with Scripture, spiritual things with spiritual things. And and you you have to do that. You have to discipline yourself with time to do it. Some people, as I've mentioned before, don't study it because they say it's too scary. Some people say, well, we don't, we don't believe it. And then you have people who believe that the church is going to go through the tribulation, going to go through part of the tribulation. You got, you got various theories and ideologies and all of this stuff. Um, and so there's a variety of reasons why people do not just, uh, shut down the distractions of their life, study the book and preach the word. And I, be, I do believe that when we get to this part of our study, this is one of the, the reasons why. Because chapter 4, from chapter 4, probably throughout chapter 19, um, are our most, most difficult and challenging scriptures. So having said all of that, let's just finish out chapter 3 here and let's go to... Um, uh, let's start with verse 20. I think that would be a good place to lead into 21 and 22. Jesus is speaking and he's saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am sat down. This is important now. 
I want you to look at the latter part here at verse number 21. Somebody asked me, where was Jesus today? Where, where is Jesus today? What's he doing right now? Well, we do know by John 14 that he's building mansions. He's preparing heaven for us. But right here, the word says this, that he is right now, he has sat down with my father in his throne. That's where the Lord is. He is seated at the right hand of the father. And let me say this about this word overcometh again. Jesus laid down his life in obedience to do the Father's will, and that's exactly what he expects us to do. To him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne. And we know that an overcomer is a person who is living the victorious life. In fact, there's a passage of Scripture here in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 22 and verse number 42, I want to share that scripture with you, saying, Father, if it be thy will, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And so the verse says, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame. And uh, he he was victorious in his life. He, he was... Um, it was not only crucifying himself to a cross. And by the way, that's exactly what happened. No man took the life of Jesus. He laid down his life. And so when we think about this, he overcame many obstacles. He said, and him sat down with my father in his throne. The Lord, and here's the thing about overcoming in this life. The Lord has never asked any of us to travel a road that he has not already traveled. And so the footprints that Jesus has left us are a guide to help us in our Christian faith. And so remember this, when it comes down, and this, this passage of scripture, by the way, is about discipleship. I've said this many times, and I want you to get it. Don't lose the spiritual truth. There's a big difference between salvation and discipleship. When Jesus was preaching, and John and Andrew had heard the voice of the Lord, he, they had heard the lessons of the Lord, the first thing that Andrew did when he heard these words of Jesus he became pricked in his heart and he said, listen, I've, I've got a brother and he needs to hear this. And the Bible says that Andrew, immediately after he had heard the message of Jesus, he went to find his brother, Peter, and he said, listen, we found the Messiah. The one that the prophets had spoke about, we have found him. Peter said, where is he? Andrew said, he's going to be preaching, not Long from now, in a little place called Caesarea Philippi, you know the story. So John and Andrew, several people went, Peter went. Jesus is speaking, he's teaching, he's preaching. He looks into the eyes of Peter and he says, Hey, who do men say that I am? And he said, Some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah. 
Jesus said, but, but I want to know who do you say that I am? And there with great conviction, Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And I emphasize that because it was there in, a, in this little place. And I have, I have preached in Caesarea Philippi many times. I have been there many times. Beautiful place. And when he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, he made what is called the great confession. And it was there in that little place that Simon Peter gave his heart to Christ. But Peter did not become a disciple in Caesarea Philippi. He became part of the ransomed. He became a follower of Christ, and we know that's the essence of the, of the definition of what a disciple really is, but he gave his heart. That's the best way to say it. He gave his heart, his totality to Jesus. But it was later, if you remember in Matthew chapter 4, the Bible describes it as Jesus was walking majestically beside the Sea of Galilee. And, and the word says, and he called out to those that were fishing, and he said, ultimately, he said, drop your nets and follow me. And the Bible said, and straightway they left their nets and followed him. And so it was on the Galilee that these, these men became disciples, some of them. He had not called all of them at that point. But this thing that I want to stress to you right now is that Peter became a believer in Caesarea Philippi, became a disciple on the shores of Galilee. Salvation, listen carefully, is not free when you think about what it cost Jesus, what it cost God the Father. It bankrupt heaven. It cost God everything heaven had. So in relationship to God the Father, God the Son, it wasn't free. It cost him every drop of blood he had. But when it's in relationship to you and I, salvation is absolutely free. We cannot buy it. We cannot ob obtain it through good works. Salvation is free, but discipleship comes with a price. And Jesus teaches us in his word that we need to take up the cross, and the cross is very costly. All right? So what Jesus is talking about here in verse number 21 is discipleship. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down. A couple of spiritual truths here is talking about discipleship, but it also lets you know where Jesus is right now with my father in his throne. And then in verse number 22, and we close chapter three, he that hath an ear, and we have found that repetitiously throughout Revelation thus far, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so this is the unifying message to these seven churches that are in Asia Minor, and that is for those who faithfully serve the Lord, they're going to be given a great and precious reward to sit 
with the Lord Jesus according to the word in his throne with my father. All right, now, here's the thing that I want to teach you tonight as we go into chapter 4. Because the dynamic completely changes from this point to chapter 19. The scene dramatically changes. And I want to remind you of a couple of things. In chapters 1 through 3, we've just concluded chapter 3, John... Remember now, he is on the Isle of Patmos. The year was A.D. 96. He's there because of the preaching, his testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, let me give you this uh, refresher again in Revelation 1.9. The Bible says this. I assure you it's in the Word here. They'll get it up there in a minute. I, John who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, look at this, was in the isle that is called Patmos. For, this is the reason, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. All right? But now something dramatically changes Let's read verse number one. And so John is saying, after, after chapters one, two, and three, he is saying, after this, he said, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. And I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Chapter 4 is a picture of the rapture. So if you're taking notations, make sure you're writing that down. Chapter 4 is a picture of the rapture. But the thing that I want to emphasize as we, we go into this is that John now, in this experience on Patmos, he's being caught up in the Spirit. Now, now I want you to look at this again. And, and after this, chapters 1, 2, and 3, he said, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Do you remember when Stephen was being stoned to death? And the Bible said he saw heaven opened up. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. You remember the story how Saul of Tarsus was involved in his martyrdom. Okay, heaven was opened. Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Here now on Patmos, heaven is opened up. And he begins to hear a voice. He said, which I heard as if were of a trumpet talking with me. We're going to be speaking more about that as this study develops. Which said, come up hither. This is a type of the rapture. So let me remind you of something. The word rapture is not in the Bible. 
but the word Bible is not in the Bible. This thing about come up hither, this this is the protocol. This is a type of the rapture. When the trump of God sounds and the dead in Christ will be raised first, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them and according to the word, and we will meet the Lord in the air. And so now he's hearing this voice saying, come up hither. That's a type of the trumpet. He is being summoned up into heaven. And he heard the voice say, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. But there's a significant aspect of this, and it's found in verse number two. And I want you to look at it very carefully. And immediately, you see, we're going to be, when the rapture takes place, we're going to be caught up immediately in a twinkling of an eye, a twentieth of a second. We'll be caught up immediately. But notice this. He said, I was in the spirit. This is significant. The Lord had opened up a door to him and he had summoned him up into heaven. Again, the picture of the rapture. And by the way, in the timeline of things, the rapture takes place between chapters 3 and 4. That's where we are right now, today. As we walk, live, breathe on this earth, we are in the, in the time frame of things. We are between chapters 3 and chapter 4 of the book of Revelation. That's where we are right now. All right, the saved will be caught up. The lost will be left behind. Paul said it this way, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I want to read for you verses 15 through 18. He said, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. When the rapture takes place, we're not immediately ushered into heaven. We meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, I want you to listen very carefully to this, because in the first three chapters of Revelation, this is important. I have, I have mentioned this to you on many occasions that I do not believe that the church will go through a fragment of the tribulation. And there are reasons why I believe that. I'm going to give you some of those reasons tonight. In the first three chapters of Revelation, the word church or churches is mentioned approximately 20 times. That's a pretty good number. However, when you begin reading chapter 4, everything significantly changes from chapter 4 all the way up to chapter 22 and verse number 17. And that is this, from chapter 4 to chapter 22, 
the word church or churches is not mentioned at all. Now get this. From chapter 1 to chapter 3, you find the word church or churches mentioned at least 20 some approximate times. And it's significant because John is talking about the seven churches of Asia. It's seven real churches and literal time periods. But when you get to chapter 4, you don't find that word church or churches anymore until Revelation chapter 17 and verse number, uh, chapter 22 and verse number 7. And the reason for that is this, because from chapter 4 to chapter 22, the church is not here. You don't find the word church or churches from chapter 4 to 22 as you do in chapters 1 through 3. Now, chapters 1, 2, and 3, you find the word church multiple times, or churches, very active works going on. Something significantly happens in chapter 4 through chapter 22. So the church has no part in, in the prophetic visions given to John after chapter 3. And I will say probably um, we could go as far as to say up into chapter 19. There, there's, a, there's an aspect that takes place in chapter 19. We'll go over that when we get to it. But the reason why that the church is not mentioned from chapter 3 all the way to 19 or 22 is because the church is not on the earth during these specific times, it's gone. Where is the church? From chapter 4 to chapter 19 or chapter 22, where is the church? If the church is not on the earth after chapter 3, where is the church? And by the way, who is the church? The church is the body of Christ, born-again believers. So where is the church? According to Scripture, we just read this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the church has been caught up, and we are with the Lord. We meet the Lord in the air. That's where the church is. It's in the air with the Lord. And so we have to understand this, that when we meet the Lord in the air, the judgment seat of Christ takes place for three and a half years. After the first three and a half years, then we go into what is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb lasts for three and a half years. The judgment seat of Christ lasts for three and a half years. That's a total of seven years. While we were at the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb for seven years, this earth is going through a seven-year tribulation period. It's, it's going to be literally hell on earth. Now, something very important here, and I want you to see this. Let's go back to Revelation 1 and verse number 19. Let's look at this very carefully here. Revelation 1, 19. John says, write these things which thou hast seen. 
Jesus speaking, John is writing, write these things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. So there are three divisions. If you look in this passage, you see that there are three divisions. Things which thou hast seen, talking about things in the past, things which are, talking about the present, and then things which shall be hereafter, talking about the future. And so you can look at this passage of Scripture and you can clearly see that there are three divisions. And you can also see this, that these three divisions that are in verse number 19, they do not run concurrently, meaning that these events that you see in verse number 19, they do not all three occur at the same time. That's that's very important. First, John saw the vision of the glorified Lord. That's what happened first. Secondly, he saw the churches in Asia Minor. And then he wrote the messages to the church, then that part came to a close. And so that's why he says in the beginning of verse number number one of chapter four, he said, after this, that's, that's, that's huge, that's very important. John records the things that happens after the Laodiceans are spewed out. He said, after this. So keep in mind that the entire picture of Revelation changes dramatically after chapter 3. Now, we do not see here, and from this point, we we don't see Jesus like we saw him in these other previous chapters. We do not see him in the midst of the candlesticks. That, that significantly changes. And we do not see him on the earth anymore. We see him in heaven. We see him on a throne. But for the moment, I want you to look at these words, uh, the first voice. And I want you to look at this. In verse 1 of chapter 4, And this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice, look at that very carefully, which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show thee things which, which must be hereafter. Now, I want you to compare that with chapter 1 and verse 10. Let's go back to chapter 1, compare this scripture with chapter 1 and verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. All right? So again, we compare spiritual things with spiritual things. So in chapter 4 and verse number 1, Jesus is saying to John, come up hither, Or come up here. That's what he's saying. Now, Jesus is going to show John now things that are going to come. So from this point forward, and and I realize this is deep. you got to stay with it. And this is one of the reasons why a lot of pastors, a lot of people do not want to study Revelation. Because it gets deep. We're now moving out of shallow water. We're actually 
uh, waiting on out here. But I want you to see this. Everything that we're going to be talking about in chapter 4 through chapter 19 and 22, the closing chapter of the Revelation, everything that we talk about now becomes prophetic. That, that's significantly different than the things that we have already been talking about. Everything becomes primarily eschatological in nature. And that word eschatology means things to come. So we're now talking about prophecy, things yet to come. Now, I want to continually say that the church will not go through any part of the tribulation. However, people will be saved in the tribulation. In Revelation chapter 3, verse number 10, the word says this. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will, look at this. This is important. The hour of temptation, Jacob's trouble, the tribulate. This, this is what this is. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from, from, I emphasize from, the hour of temptation, Jacob's trouble, the tem, uh, tribulation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And so this message here in Revelation 3.10 is the message that is given to the Philadelphia church. You know, there are seven churches. We, We went through each and every one of them. This message is given to the Philadelphia church, which is the true church. And by the way, the the name Philadelphia is the name for brotherly love. The Philadelphia church is known as the church of brotherly love. So keep this in mind that the bride of Christ, if you don't get anything we tell we're past, we're five minutes over already. I got to wind this up right here. But here's the thing that, now listen, let's rehearse this church. Listen carefully. When the trumpet sounds, where is the church. The church is in the air. Why is the church in the air? Why are we caught up? Why do we hear these words come up hither? Why are we in the air? We are at the judgment seat of Christ to be given rewards That's what happens at the judgment seat of Christ. We just, this verse right here, to keep thee from the hour of temptation. All right, so the bride of Christ will not be, the church will not be. Now we're talking about Bible prophecy now. We're not talking about uh, uh, um, uh, generics here. We're talking about the rapture. We're talking about... Um, Bible prophecy here. So keeping, keeping those things in context, the bride of Christ, the church, the church will not be tried on the earth. 
the church will be rewarded in the air. So if you can get all of that, if the church was on the earth, then we would be tried on the earth. But the church is gone. After chapter 3, we don't find it on the earth. We find it in the air. And we find it in the air not to be tried. We find it to be rewarded. Now, we will receive rewards and we will lose rewards. And that word tried is very important. We will not be tried on the earth. We will be rewarded in the air and stewardship is going to be a key component uh, for that. So we have to, we have to wind it up here. Um, but I hope that you understand that as we move forward now in chapter four, that everything becomes prophetic from this point forward. The things seen are past, which are, were present, but the things which should come hereafter, it's all prophetic. And so we'll pick it up here, Lord willing. Again, there's some more things here I need to talk to you about in verse number two. Um, and so I pray that it's a blessing to your heart. Remember, the church is rewarded in the air. It's not tried. If you can, if you can get that, you can understand how God's going to keep us from the hour of temptation. Jacob's trouble, the tribulation. Well, praise God. Amen. Let's stand together as we close tonight. Again, this is why many people don't study this book, because it's very, very complicated. It takes a lot of time to study it. And I shake hands with my brothers uh, who are in the ministry that has a different perspective on this, uh, because what I'm speaking to you tonight will not make you saved. And it won't make you lost. The only thing that saves you is the blood of Jesus. And the only thing that makes you stay lost is a rejection of the blood of Jesus. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.